Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Who Died with Pete and Alex. It's the weekly show where we talk about the famous, infamous, and other noteworthy people who joined the Choir Invisible in the past week. And uh, hello, Pete. Hi, Alex. How's it going? I understand you have our first honoree today, Newton Minow. I do. Newton Minow. Newton Norman Minow uh, passed away on May 6th uh, at the age of 97. Uh, was born January 17th, 1926, and then uh, came to uh, fame in 1961 when he was appointed by President Kennedy to be one of the seven commissioners of the Federal Communications Commission, and he was uh, uh, then boosted to be the chairman. He was in charge of the FCC, and uh, most notable um, for good and bad. Some people, people took it in different ways but uh, he's most known for a speech known as the wasteland speech when television is good nothing not the theater not the magazines or the newspapers nothing is better but when it television is bad nothing is worse i invite each of you to sit down in front of your television set when your station goes on the air and stay there for a day without a book without a magazine without a newspaper without a profit and loss sheet or a rating book to distract you just keep your eyes glued to the set until the station signs off and i can assure you what you will observe is a vast wasteland. That's why it's called the wasteland speech. And the wasteland has become kind of a derogatory synonym for, for TV since then. Yeah. Um, this, and, this was and, in you know, the 60s? This was 1961. Okay. Well, May wow. 1961. So, yeah. Um, so, um, it, uh, it, a lot of these will sound familiar. You said you'll see a procession of game shows, formula comedies about totally unbelievable families, blood and thunder, mayhem, violence, sadism, murder. Western bad men, Western good men, not so much Westerns these days. Hmm. Privatized gangsters, more violence and cartoons, and endlessly commercials. Many screaming, cajoling, and uh, offending. And most of all, boredom. You'll see a few things you'll enjoy, but there will be very, very few. And if you think I exaggerate, I only ask you to try it. <laughs> and so that understandably rubbed a few people the wrong way, but then also kind of rallied other people. And um, he... Um, he it, throughout his life he was just like yeah, it's it's the two words that he's best remembered for are going to be vast wasteland but he would much rather people remember that he be remembered for the words public interest because that was the main focus of that speech that he's like we need to do more with it wasn't like tv is bad it should be eradicated it's like tv is bad we need to make more good yeah. tv and so he was uh important in expanding i i forgot the exact name of it but he basically made um it was government mandate that all TVs should be able to receive UHF stations. So there'd be more options for everybody. And that led then to more, um, public television options. And, uh, and he was kind of involved in that, making sure there was more, more, uh, television in the public service available. Um, so we have him to thank for weird Al's first movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, one of those who objected to his characterization of the television landscape, obviously people working in TV weren't too happy about it. And one Sherwood Schwartz, um, when he was making the television show Gilligan's Island, named the ill-fated boat after one Mr. Newton Minow. Oh, is that true? So That's really That's funny. true. <laughs> uh, purportedly. That's what Schwartz said. That's what some other people have said. So, um, um, And another historical footnote. Um, that uh, in 1988, uh, on the recommendation of his, of his daughter, his daughter was a law professor, daughter followed in his footsteps as a law professor, 
and uh, said, hey, um, one of my law students is really good. You should, uh, you know, if you're looking for people in, in, in your law firm, he was working at a, a law firm at the time. He was, you know, continued to practice law after he left his, his government position. He's like, hey, if you're, if you're looking for somebody, you know, you, you should hire this guy. He's really smart, really good. He's really with it. And so uh, he hired a summer associate uh, uh, named Barack Obama. Hmm. And uh, that is where Barack Obama met one Michelle Robinson, who he would later marry. Oh, so. no <clears throat> Wow. So he really did so, have an impact on culture at large just by, you know. Yeah, so. twofold. I wow, mean, yeah. you know, he, he had two swings at the bat of changing the way that we lived. <laughs> Gilligan's Island and the Obama administration and, are two kind of ten poles of society. <laughs> Do you know, uh, we are, I guess, are living in the post-platinum age of television. Do you know if his opinion changed, you know, in the era of The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and all these legendary shows that are now held up as the new standards for what? Uh... I don't think so, because I think it still fit with his assessment that when it's good, nothing is better. Yeah. He's like, you will, ha- you will find these high points that there will be amazing things, but there's also just so much garbage out there. Yeah. But I mean, the same is true for a lot of different media. You yeah. know what I mean? There's so much garbage. I'm glad he lived. I to... forgot. I forgot whose corollary it was that 90 percent of anything is crap. But Sturgeon's law, I think, could be. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just glad he lived to see the streaming era, the golden age. That is the streaming era. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he just was able to just. Yeah. That you know, he probably appreciated that more because then you have choice. You know, you have you have your own options. You can choose what you're putting into your brain. You're not just sitting there having it zapped into you. Yeah, so. that's true. Well, uh, Alex, who's your first honoree this week? Well, I wanted to honor pitching legend Vida Blue, Vida Mm. Rochelle Blue Jr., his his full name. Jr. Died at the age of 73 this this past week. Um, He was a left-handed pitcher. He pitched in the Major League Baseball from 1969 to 1986, which seems like a long career for a pitcher. Maybe back then people, I think, pitched longer than they do nowadays but anyway i could be wrong yeah um probably the peak of his fame and career was uh, he was the uh, pitcher for the oakland a's when they won the world series in 1972 1973 and 1974 so three back-to-back world series for uh mr blue he was a six-time all-star and one of only five pitchers who pitched for the american league and the national league over the course of his career in the all-star game, hmm. the starting, oh, he was right. a starting pitcher in the all-star game for the national league and for the, the American league. Um, I was going to question your math on that for a second. I was like, wait a minute, but that's for <laughs> starting all-star yes, game pitcher. That's yes. sure. Yes. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I like that you're coming in with a, with a sports honoree. That's um, I'm, I like this side of you. Yeah. Vita blue. I mean, sports generally I'm not that into, but Vita blue was someone I remember the baseball card of just because it was such an unusual mm. name, Vita blue. And I was hoping when I looked yeah. up what his full name was, I was going to find out that Vida was short for, you know, Vidawowski or something like that. But nope, just Vida <laughs> Rochelle Blue Jr. So the mm. old man was Vida Rochelle Blue Sr. Mm. Um, and uh, after baseball, he became a sportscaster for NBC News. And uh, last uh, interesting tidbit, in 1989, he got married at Candlestick Park on the pitcher's mound. Mm. So that's a true, oh. that's a true baseball, uh, yeah. a true baseball fan. So, uh. Hmm. Goodbye, Vita Blue. Do you have any memories of Vita Blue particularly? No, it's just one of those names that I know. I don't even think um, I had a, you know, my brief dalliance with baseball cards. I don't think mm-hmm. I, I think he was already kind of out of the game by then. Yeah. You know, I, 
probably. Um, but I, I, one of those names that kind of stands out that's always just like, oh yeah, yeah, right. It's the, I mean, and I think they were on the same team, you know, Catfish Hunter and Raleigh Fingers and stuff like that with <laughs> those guys. From like, oh yes, men with interesting names yeah. from slightly before my era where I was paying attention. And and Raleigh yeah. had that curly cute mustache too, right? Wasn't that right? Yeah, two two gimmicks going on. So uh, yeah, uh, it was a different time then. Yeah, need to bring need to bring back those curly cute <laughs> mustaches. Speaking of, uh, while we're in the sports arena, mm-hmm. if you will, sure. Uh, I also have an athlete who sadly left us this week. Oh, uh, who's on, that? Uh, May the 4th, he's no longer with us. Uh, it's Peter Klima. Peter Klima. Peter Klima. Uh, age 58. So he was born after the Wasteland speech given by Newton Minow. Like, after that happened, like, years later, Peter Klima uh, was born. And he was born in uh, um, the, well, in uh, Czechia, I believe we're calling it now. It was Czech Republic for a while. It was Czechoslovakia, I believe, at the time, 64. Um, and, um, he was a, a Czech ice hockey forward, played in the NHL for the Red Wings, Oilers, Lightning, Kings, Pittsburgh Penguins. And he was the first Czech player to defect directly to a U.S. team. Hmm. Uh, the, the Canadian teams, I guess, because of, they weren't as, uh, culturally at war with the, with the, the the Soviet bloc mm-hmm. like they it was easier to kind of get Canadian players to defect but the Detroit Red Wings um, they picked him in the fifth round uh, the eighty three entry draft and they immediately basically the um, the World Juniors which is where like you know it's like the the under eighteen championship mm-hmm. of, of hockey um, the eighty four World Juniors they were already kind of reaching out to him and be like hey we drafted if you want to come play for us we can help work this out and um, he said, like, I would I would love to do this. This is my dream, but I have to wait until um, I complete my military duty because everybody in, in uh, Czechoslovakia had to had to serve. You know, they, I guess when they turned 18, maybe they serve a, a short stint in uh, the military. And um, he's like, I have to wait until after I do that, because then otherwise I will be a not only will I be a defector, but I'll be a deserter as well. Mm. And that's like extra they'll be extra after me. So yeah. 1985, he does his, his military stint comes out and then, uh, immediately like, like working with the Detroit Red Wings and the Detroit Red Wings were working with Ed Meese and, uh, the, the deputy attorney general Lowell Jensen, uh, in, in kind of setting up this expedited, uh, political asylum. And, uh, so the Red Wings, they went to, uh, um, a training camp. The, the, the Czech, I think national team was doing a, uh, training camp in west germany and uh the the red wings officials went over and they're like all right after as soon as you're done eating instead of going with your team come with us and they just drove them secreted away to a secret location hung out moved city to city for a couple of days to keep the fuzz off their back and then um once they had everything kind of streamlined as far as the extradition kind of you know the the political asylum process they skirted them away to uh, uh to sunny old detroit michigan and um and then, uh, in in honor of his successful defection, um, he uh, wore uh, sweater number eighty five. His his number in in pretty much all of his stops in hockey was eighty five because that's the year that he defected. So it's kind of like that was the year, the number that he chose to represent that kind of happy uh, occurrence in his life eighty five. Which I think he I think he wore it in everywhere else that he went. So. Wow, that's cool. Um, and he. Uh, Scored the uh, the game winning goal in the longest Stanley Cup Finals game in history, 
third overtime of game one of the 1990 wow. Stanley Cup Finals. So he was a hero uh, for everyone because everyone's like, let's get this thing over with. Yeah, let's. I got places to be. <laughs> but um, yeah, he was actually like somewhat troubled um, on and off the ice. He was never like the, he was always good, but never the kind of superstar that he could be. And off the ice, he had some some problems with drinking and behavioral issues. He was suspended a couple of times. And uh, um, and even in that game, in, in game one of the 90, funny, he was benched for, for the whole third period or something like that, just for, for just lack of. His head wasn't in the game, and then finally they were like, "All right, third overtime, we're running out of people." They put him back in, and he scored the game-winning goal. So nice. Uh, so you said he was only fifty-eight. Was this just hard living, catching up with him, or what was? I the, think uh, so. Yeah. Okay. It seems like it. Yeah. Um, and because uh, uh, he had reportedly gotten you know cleaned up uh, um, over the years, mm-hmm. but um, I don't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see a cause of death listed, but I'm assuming that it was just kind of you know. Um, but I, one of those, there, there's a name that I also remember cause he's also a Peter yeah. and it's spelled in the, in the kind of, you know, uh, uh, Eastern European way, P-E-T-R. Hmm. I don't know if that's strictly Czech or I think Slovaks, you know, then the, the, um, the P-E-T-R, Peter Klima. Um, so that, that's tip of the hat. It never occurred to me that the you know your your name is commonly abbreviated PTR. It, it never occurred to me that mm. that is very close to just the word Peter. So have you ever thought about just yeah. changing your name to PTR, like and just pronouncing it Peter? Yeah, just pronouncing it Peter. Hmm. It's no vowels. I hadn't thought of that. We'll think about style. it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, my next honoree is uh, a fellow by the name of William Bill Saluga. And uh, not a name Saluga. probably a lot of people know. He was 85 years old. He was a comedian, mm-hmm. actor. He uh, got a start with the Ace Trucking Company, which was an improv comedy group. Fred Willard used to be in it. So he's that, you know, that generation. Uh, mm-hmm. He's, you know, as an actor, he was in tons of stuff. He was in Seinfeld. He was in Curb Your Enthusiasm, Blossom. And, of course, The Jerk 2. Uh, he was oh, my favorite. Of your, the, uh, one of your favorite uh, genres. <laughs> yes. But by the far, his greatest fame came as the character Raymond J. Johnson Jr., the mm. mustachioed, cigar-chomping, zoot-suited uh, fella. I don't know. Yeah, and... Uh, Palooka? I don't know. What you... <laughs> he, um... It's it's difficult to explain if, like... It's one of those you-had-to-be-there kind of things. His, mm. his claim to fame was he had this character and he... he became famous through a series of beer commercials. He was also on some variety shows, Johnny Carson and Red Fox, but his whole shtick was that you would ask him his name and he would say, you know, uh, over oh, you know, well, what's your name? Uh, Raymond J. Johnson. And then he would say, you don't have to call me Johnson. You can call me Ray or you can call me Jay and you can call me RJ and every permutation of the name Raymond Johnson Jr. You can call me Junior. You can call me Junie. All these different things. And then it would end with him saying, but you don't have to call me Johnson. And people laughed uproariously at this. Like, if you go on YouTube, sure. you can see multiple clips of him doing it. And everyone is always of not only him doing it, but people laughing. Yeah. But it, and uh, in a way, he almost feels kind of like the the earnest, uh, like from Ernest Goes to Camp hmm. of his day. And that he was like a commercial pitch man who kind of had, you know, a character that became, you know, well known. But though he certainly didn't have a string of hit and direct movie, uh, direct video movies the way Ernest did. But, um, well, if there was a different time, maybe, you know, yeah, who knows now we'd have a, a, uh, Netflix, uh, series, right. Streaming series. Yeah. Um, 
So someone I, re- I <laughs> have been fascinated with for years just because it was such a, you know, when you're a kid and you see someone like that, you just assume that they are famous in other things. Like, right. you know, when you're a kid and you're like, well, I don't know who that is, but grownups must know who that is. And they, they must be a fame, a justifiably famous person. But uh, he really just said it was kind of a one, uh, one trick, you know, one trick. Yeah. Um, kind of compare and contrast with, with uh, somebody we talked about, uh, was it? two weeks ago i guess harry belafonte where you just see him on the muppet show and you're like oh he's just like i guess he's just a singer and then you like <laughs> scratch the surface and you're like oh wow he's got yeah. this whole storied life yeah totally. versus um uh where you you know you're like oh nope this is all there is to this guy <laughs> he just did that thing <laughs> well i mean you know i i i i don't bear him any ill will, Ill will. oh yeah you not, not to take anything away from him pay you to do it then you're you know yeah sure more power to you um and so uh I also yeah, fast forward to to years from now where people are just like Pete the Retail. Oh, that's that Star Wars minute guy. That's all he did. Right? <laughs> Star Wars minute. That was that was their catchphrase. Yeah, that, used that to was say his, that was his catchphrase. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, goodbye, funny man, to William Bill Raymond Johnson Jr. We don't have to call mm. him Johnson, but we will call him a beloved entertainer. Oh, hey, speaking of calling, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're trying out something new on the show, right? Yes, we uh, are having a special guest commentator, uh, Joe Dater, cartoonist, cartooning legend Joe Dater is here to talk about another cartooning legend, uh, Sam Gross, who passed away in the past week. So uh, let's bring in Joe. And joining us now over the interwebs is Joe Dater to hear tell us a little bit about cartoonist Sam Gross. Hello, Joe. Hello, guys. Um, happy to be here as uh, part of your uh your show about death. Um, <laughs> I feel it's a great concept for a show. Plus, you have the perfect finale episode kind of built into it. Exactly. You know, it's you yeah. talking about people dying, and then the last episode, you guys die. Hmm. Well, one of us. Who died with Pete and Alex? It'll be the last one. Then eventually it'll be... Or it could just be like, you know, hey, who died with Alex? And it's Pete. You know, that, that's the... <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. But if, if you could sync it up so that it's like the big finale is you both die on the same show, that would be that would be great. And it's kind of... <laughs> that would be... You know, like Thomas it, Jefferson it, it and John Adams. That. It builds that. Because <laughs> right, yeah. like you, like me, like everyone, we're all gonna die. And mm, I true. like that you're leaning into that. <laughs> There's no getting around it. There's just no getting no. around it. <laughs> Eventually, we exactly. will showcase everyone on this show. Yeah. Because yeah, we yeah, all yeah. will die. Mm-hmm. So, tell us about Sam Gross. Sam Gross. Sam Gross was a cartoonist. And if you've never heard of him, you have heard of him. Because everyone has seen his most famous cartoon. And his most famous cartoon was one that was from the National Lampoon from the 1970s. I think... 1970 specifically and it's the cartoon of a french restaurant and the sign says frog legs and you see a poor paraplegic frog wheeling himself out with no legs from the kitchen on a little dolly with wheels and that was sam gross's claim to fame uh (laughs) that cartoon uh was uh originally ran in the national lampoon uh and the original of it sold recently for $20,000, I believe. Um, wow. it was, it's been reprinted. It's been made into posters and T-shirts and everything. And so if you've never heard of Sam Gross, you've definitely seen that cartoon somewhere. That was Sam Gross. And that was 
the essence of Sam's humor. It was always very dark and very, very shocking and hilarious, but at the same time, very, very cute because the little poor little frog on the dolly is adorable. And it makes the cartoon so much funnier because you really feel for this poor little frog who's lost his legs. But also, along with those outrageous cartoons that he did, mostly for like the National Lampoon, and he, he did a lot of cartoons for, for skin magazines, a lot of things for like, you know, Gent and things like that. Um, all those like cheap girly magazines you used to see. Um, but also he'd do cartoons for good housekeeping. He would also do cartoons that were very sweet and wholesome and adorable. So his other most famous cartoon that you've also probably seen is the one where it's two snails and there's a sort of classic scotch tape dispenser. And one of the snails is saying, I don't care if she's a tape dispenser. I love her. And... (laughs) And that's so, such a sweet little good-natured kind of adorable cartoon. That one ran in The New Yorker. And that's the two sides of Sam Gross. He was, he was um, dark and outrageous and also sweet and cute. And even his darkest cartoons were kind of good-natured. They were never mean-spirited. And uh, I kind of knew Sam a little. Uh, he, you know, was, I would see him at the New Yorker and I, he was always incredibly prolific and it's a true fact. I, I forget the exact number, but he had something like 36,000 cartoons that he had drawn over the years. Wow. Yeah. And he kept each one of them like meticulously filed and with, um, all the information about how much money he had made from each one of those cartoons. Oh, wow. He was a really, really good businessman, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always envied him because I'm not very prolific. Sam could do a book of cartoons on a single topic. Like, he put out a whole book of cartoons, just just cat cartoons. I don't, I, I don't have 150 cartoons on any one topic. And people come to me and say, oh, could you do, like, a whole book of cat cartoons? No, I can't. I don't have that many on any one topic. And Sam did... Whole book of cat cartoons, whole book of dog cartoons. And one day I saw him at the New Yorker and he said, I'm doing a whole book of cartoons about swastikas. <laughs> and he did. He put out a whole book wow. and every wow. single cartoon in the book had a swastika in it. It was a joke about a swastika sometimes. You know, there's, I always thought he hated me. Like I, I, I met him mm. when I first went in there. He, I, I think he probably did hate me because I was like the new guy. And he was always this kind of, he was a cranky, grumpy guy, and he, he looked and sounded a little like Moe Sislak, you know? And, <laughs> and, he would, and he would always complain about everything. My friend Jason called him the Kvetcher-in-Chief. That's what he was. He was always, <laughs> like, they're trying to screw me. You'd hear him talking in conversations saying, ah, I'm doing this book, and they're trying to screw me on the deal. He was always concerned. Everyone was trying to screw him. They're trying to screw me. <laughs> and, but also... He would always give you the advice, don't let him screw you, you know, which was great advice, you know, for like a freelancer, Yeah, you know, always read the fine print, the contract, don't let him screw you. He was always a, a defender and a crusader for us, for us getting paid and getting our due, you know. You mentioned he was uh, cranky. Was he funny too? Was he one of these cartoonists who's funny or is he not funny he was, in real life? 
he was funny, but he was funny in his sort of bluntness, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You know, I remember him like we went to a meeting up at the New Yorker, uh, and it was to like tell us all about the deal, the the new contract for the royalties that they're giving us. And right at the end of the meeting, because he didn't give he didn't give a damn about anyone. Uh, at the end of the meeting, he just got up and and walked down and loudly proclaimed, "That's a crock of." And there's nothing funnier than that to me. It was him just like not caring at all and just proclaiming right. that out loud. Didn't didn't matter to him, didn't bother him at all. Because um, he had this thing about how like if you're just devote if you're just doing it for one client, um, don't don't depend on that one client, which of course I do. Um but he gave me that advice and one time my my most cherished Sam memory is when we were having lunch, and he sat across the table from me and said to me, you're not a cartoonist. Because you only draw. When you get up in the morning and draw, you're doing it for the New Yorker. When I get up in the morning and draw, I'm doing it for me. That was his mm. philosophy. And he would draw the cartoons he wanted to draw for himself that made him laugh with you know, terrible things happening to the little match girl. And... <laughs> then he would sell them to whoever wanted them, and mostly it was the New Yorker, you know. So I understood where mm-hmm. he was coming from, because he came from an era when there were a lot more markets. There was the Saturday Evening Post, there was Collier's, there was Playboy, there was or, or the, there was National Lampoon. He never actually, I don't think he sold to Playboy at some point, because I remember he hated Hefner, and Playboy mm-hmm. gave a bad deal. Playboy would buy um, uh, all rights, they would own your work for whatever they mm. paid for it and uh you wouldn't retain the rights to your work so he wouldn't that was very much against his uh his way of doing business um so he wasn't in playboy but there were a lot more markets so he was a guy who would go around every magazine selling whatever cartoon he had you know in those days by the time i started the new yorker was pretty much the only game in town and mm. and it it's even more so now because now there's not even mad magazine or you know uh any place really so um, but his advice was, because you just do it for the New Yorker, you're not a cartoonist. But he meant it well. That's the thing about Sam was, he was always good-natured. He was always as irascible and cranky as he was. He was he was a kind, generous person. He meant it. He was trying to help. He was trying to help me. He was really trying to give me good advice, you know? Yeah. But he scared the shit out of me. All right. Well, thank you, Joe. Joe Dater, everyone. <laughs> Check him out in the New Yorker and elsewhere. Yes, JoeDater.com. You can find uh, all my uh, all my swag, all my stuff there. And uh, I pray that someday I create something as great as uh, as Sam Gross did. Well, thanks for inviting me on, guys. Sure. Yeah. And goodbye forever. Well, thanks, Joe, for that uh, insight into a cartooning legend. Hmm. It's uh, it's kind of sobering in a way because you know here's this guy who's done. Like Joe said, thousands and thousands and thousands of cartoons. And I think, like, you know, I guess that's true for most people. Most people aren't really, you know, their 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 work does not extend beyond their life. You know what I mean? So it, it's a it's a sobering thought to that. Mm. Hear this guy produce thousands and thousands. of hours. I mean, we'll live on forever, of course, with our various podcasts right, and things like that. Magic of digital media. Yeah. We'll, our ghosts will be haunting the world <laughs> until the heat death of the universe. Yeah. I wonder if that will get creepy if there's all these podcasts by people who are now passed away. Hmm. Or do you think yeah, it'd be like listening to a old albums, just comedy be... albums or something? Oh yeah, like that. that's and true. Like, oh, yeah, like, you know, yeah. 
Well, all right, I guess that will wrap up this uh, rank, not ranking, this uh, cataloging of who died this past week. And um, yeah. if there's anyone you think we missed, you can leave a comment below if you're uh, watching this on the YouTube channel. And um, until next week, goodbye forever. <laughs> who died? Who died?